installment of Hometown Legends. I am absolutely thrilled to be back in the saddle and armed with over 40 Hometown Legends to share with you guys over the next two weeks. That's right, this finale will be like many before it, a two-parter. However, there is one element to tonight's season finale special that is unlike anything else. I've ever done on the show. For this particular hometown legend special, I'm splitting the stories up via region. In this case, the mighty Mississippi is our divider. Roughly 18 stories per side. In one corner we have the east, the eastern seaboard, New England, the Great Lakes, Midwest, Appalachians, and of course the southeast. Represented by haunted places like Salem, Massachusetts, and the Bermuda Triangle. And protected by creatures like the Mothman, the Lake Champlain Monster, and the Hopkinsville Goblins. And in the other corner, the West. The Plains, the Rockies, P&W, the Desert Southwest, the West Coast, and of course, Hawaii and Alaska signified by locations such as the Skinwalker Ranch, the Roswell Crash Site, and Area 51. And it too is protected by beasts. Creatures like Sasquatch, Chupacabra, and the Skinwalker. Now a small disclaimer here. Any submission from outside the U.S. was automatically sent to the West that was done to even up numbers. So, there you have it, folks. My attempt at a friendly competition between my home side of the East and my current side of the West. Now, to make it all official, be sure to check back on the Facebook group or Facebook page for a poll following next week's episode. A poll that will help determine which half of the U.S. is, in fact, the spookiest. So, let's kick tonight's competition off with the Eastern half. Now, for clarification, again, that is any state east of the Mississippi River. Now, for me, 
the east feels very old. Even though parts of the west coast were actually settled by Europeans around the exact same time that they were settling the east. But maybe it's that assumed age that lends to the idea that there are still mysteries hidden away, tucked behind the deepest smoky mountain, or submerged beneath its endless muddy waters. There is no doubt that in what the East gives up to the West in open space, it collects tenfold in history. It seems like every hill, holler, and hamlet is a ghost story or two. And the woods, well, they grow wicked with sundown. For you know, countless sinister citizens roam the countryside. And it's with one of these beasts kick off the evening. Let's begin with one of my favorite cryptic creatures. The following is Lisa's call from my home state of Ohio. Hi, my name is Lisa and I grew up in Ohio and through your hometown legends. First of all, I love I love the show. And I called because when I heard about this, I, I thought, huh, I think I might have something, even though it's short, that might be of use. So I grew up in a city east of Cleveland, and my dad was a homicide detective from one of the big cities in the area. And when he retired, he decided to become a part-time policeman from one of the smaller cities that was near where I grew up. And there was a legend at the time with that small city that there would be a lion. I know, crazy but a lion would be in the woods. And honestly, we had heard about it. I didn't think twice about it. Now, there's a lot of wooded area in this city. It's a, it's a very kind of small town. There's like only one main street, and then there's a lot of farms and a lot of woods. So that's partly why my dad really enjoyed working there part-time, because from how busy his full-time job had been in this big city as a homicide detective, this was a nice small change. And it was an easy, low-key, you know, enjoyable job. And he often would work the night shift. You know, we were older. He enjoyed that. So he worked this job for 10 years. And I happened one time to mention this to him. Like, oh, did you ever hear the legend of this lion? He kind of stopped and looked at me. And my dad doesn't, I mean, he's a policeman. He, he's very honest. He's very upfront. He's very blunt about things that he's always wanted to tell us. And he's never lied. He's always been like, this is it. This is what it is. And he told me kind of with a little smile, he's like twice. And I blinked because I totally didn't expect an answer to happen. And I said, what do you mean twice? And he said, one time, and both of them were at night. He, um, well, one was at night and one was... Like, he would, he would take the night shift, so it would be, like, you know, 7 to 7, you know, or, like, 9 to 9. And so it was, like, a 12-hour shift. And so like one time it happened towards the evening, way late at night, that he got a call, and he and the other policeman on duty, because there were only two policemen, like I said, it was a small town, went towards the area that they said this line had they had seen. They saw nothing, and, they, you know, they shined their lights around and, you know, kept an ear out and an eye out. Nothing happened. He said, but the other time was a little bit more interesting. He had been on duty, and it was getting towards the end of his shift, so the sunrise had come up, the lights were up. It was clearly, you could see, you know, the sun was rising. And a woman called. And she, and dad, my, dad, my dad said, he's like, I've talked to many witnesses. And she was absolutely 
like, as she put it, stone cold sober. She was coming back from work. She wasn't tired. She was absolutely wide awake. And she was driving down the main street, and in front of her, a lion crossed the road. And she was absolutely gobsmacked, shocked. She called the police immediately. My dad was one who was called. He talked to her, and he said she was. She was 100%. Everything she said was like, this is it. This is what happened. I was, this thing walked across, and it was a lion. She's like, I know what a lion looks like. To the, since that time, my dad has always been very cautious. He has since retired fully. He's enjoying his life now with us. But because of that, and because of those two experiences, anytime my sisters and I wanted to go to the woods, because they had big forests in the time, and there were trails, and you could go through them, my dad was always very, very, very cautious. And he was very leery if we did it. Because he, he said, he's like, look, there's things back there. Obviously, we don't know. You've got to keep your eyes open. Be loud. You know, things obviously would be more scared of you than it kind of thing and so I thought you'd like it it's a hometown legend but to this day my dad swears that whatever that woman saw and that was the turning point he said made him question if they really were back then I hope they missed thank you Lisa I've discussed this ad nauseum but we have a lot of new listeners so this may be new news to some of you I too saw one of these mysterious creatures an alien big cat, also known as a phantom cat, or simply ABC for short. Now, my encounter happened in Ohio as well, roughly around 1989. Now, coincidentally, it's also the event that pushed me down the paranormal rabbit hole, so to speak. Some may find it difficult to believe big cat witnesses, but sightings of a large cat exactly as Lisa's witness described, are not hard to come by, especially in states like Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, West Virginia, Virginia, and the Carolinas. In fact, there is one big cat in particular that caused quite a stir back in 1954 in and around the small town of Bladenboro, North Carolina. Animals came up dead and mutilated. It witnesses described seeing a massive cat-slash-bear-like creature. It even had a name, the Vampire Beast of Bladenboro. Now, the men of the town formed hunting parties with shotguns and dogs. They patrolled the swamps for days, but no creature was ever recovered. And the funny thing is, the killings didn't exactly stop either. North Carolina is a picturesque part of the United States, and its rural communities pride themselves on the peacefulness of life in this part of the country. But for many counties here in North Carolina, that peace has been shattered by something they cannot explain. In the last six months, more than 50 pets and livestock were killed in exactly the same way. Deepening the mystery, the killings occurred nearly 200 miles apart, a range larger than that of any known predator in the region. This wasn't no struggle. This was something like an instant kill. I think it's living in the, uh, in the swamp. It was very, very gruesome sight to see, to see your goats laying there with their necks ripped open. It's hard to say what the predator is or what the predator's motive is. 
whatever it is, it was successful at what it set out to do. Witnesses have described a dark brown beast, four and a half feet long, with a face like a cat, claws like a dog, and teeth like a vampire. That was the trailer for the Vampire Beast episode of Monster Quest, which was season two, episode three. If you can find that episode, they go on to detail the Vampire Beast of Bladenboro, something I highly recommend you look into. And with all that in mind, do you remember these livestock killings from September of 2018? Well, coincidentally, they took place in nearby Kentucky. Some breaking news now. More breaking news. A safety alert this morning for the public after the massacre of three horses and two dogs. News Channel 5's Nick Barris is in the Five Alert Center with the latest on what's been a mysterious killing of at least five animals, Nick. All right, mysterious killing of at least five animals. The big question this morning is what exactly killed them? Whatever it was, I can tell you this morning, it's still out there and it is a mystery. Now, the Monroe County Sheriff in Kentucky posted an alert over the weekend. This after three miniature horses, a husky and a pit bull were all found dead in the Bill Butler spur area there. Something had torn open their throats. Initially, investigators thought it might have been the work of a large cat, perhaps a mountain lion. But now local media there, WBKO, is reporting that Kentucky fish and wildlife experts examined the remains and the animal's wounds are inconsistent with a large predator attack. So what exactly was big and vicious enough to kill these animals? It's a mystery right now. But whatever did it, again, is still out there. And the sheriff is telling folks in Monroe County and surrounding areas to keep a very close eye on their children, on their small pets. And, you know, keep an eye on them until this puzzle is solved, because right now they do not know what it was that killed those animals. We'll continue to follow that story and send it back to you in the studio. That clip comes courtesy of WTVF Channel 5 out of Nashville, Tennessee. So far, I don't think anyone has made the claim that one of these ABCs has taken down a human. But then again, humans come up missing in the woods all the time. Thank you, Lisa, for sharing your hometown's legend. And on that note, next on our little virtual road trip, we venture south to the Peach State to discuss a story I swear belongs in Arizona. The following is Joe's hometown legend from the state of Georgia. Hey Derek, my name is Joe. Uh, I'm from Griffin, Georgia, and I've got a pretty unique hometown legends call. This call is regarding uh, Doc Holliday. He was born and raised in Griffin, Georgia, the same as I was. Um, and it's a bit of a uh, mystery as to where he's actually buried. Legend has it that he was buried at a cemetery uh, named Linwood Cemetery in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. But many people believe that he is buried right beside his father in an unmarked grave and um, Oak Hill Cemetery in Griffin, Georgia. Uh, he passed away on November 8, 1887, and there's a lot of speculation on whether or not he was actually buried in Colorado or in Georgia, but a lot of his family members had uh, had some pull, and they claimed to have brought him back 
you can do a little historical walk through the city and everything. And there, there used to be a museum downtown, and it's got a uh, a chair there where they claim he practiced some dental work and everything. And then you can go visit his grave site. There's a historical marker there now, but there are two unmarked graves which supposedly houses the remains of Doc and then his father. I went there myself one time and I met with the groundskeeper and he asked me, he said, young man, are you looking for Doc Holliday? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, he's under that tree over there. You won't find him here. And he said, um, you know, it was just maybe 20 yards, 30 yards away, but he's right under a, an oak tree. And they claim that they did that for protection, you know, because people may, uh, grave robbers and whatnot, or somebody looking for fame could possibly, you know, dig up his grave and, I don't know, maybe publicize it. But, yeah, it's it's a pretty neat thing. And, you know, growing up in Griffin, Georgia, you hear a lot about him. And there's some ghost sightings, supposedly, that, you know, you'll see him walking around the cemetery. And there's actually ghost sightings of him in Fayetteville, Georgia, as well. So, in a, a brief synopsis of Griffin, it's uh, about 30 miles, 40 miles south of Atlanta, and it's just north of Macon. It's kind of central Georgia. But yeah, I love the show, man, and uh, hope you guys enjoy this hometown legend. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Joe. I'm a big old West fan. Doc Holliday was always a lot of fun to read about. I always think the same thing every time I hear about Holliday, though. I always think I'm very happy the standards for dentistry have improved since the 19th century. Thank you again, Joe, for taking the time to share your hometown's legend. Now, this series of submissions was a bit strange, a little odd. Many things that I'd never heard of and many first-hand experiences that people actually witnessed and uh, felt for themselves at these locations. And another thing was that several people submit more than one story. So you may recognize some of these voices as familiar. And speaking of those double submissions, the following two legends were submitted by Kelly in the state of Illinois. Hi, Derek. This is Kelly. I'm in uh, Chicago area, and there are two hometown legends that I was calling to share. The first one is from St. Charles, Illinois, uh, west of Chicago. So in St. Charles, there's Munger Road. Uh, there was a really abysmally bad uh, movie that somebody made called Munger Road a couple years ago, but essentially it's a kind of um, urban or hometown legend that uh, if you drive your car up onto this, the train tracks on this road that, and you put baby powder on the back of your trunk that, or bumper or whatever, then like your car will be pushed off the tracks and then you're supposed to be able to see like little tiny handprints from children that push you off. Supposedly there was a bus accident on the train track where like a train hit a bus full of kids and they all died so sad you know I don't know that it's 
true at all? I have no idea. It seems like that would be something that they would have records of. But I've never heard of anybody saying that, you know, they have the records. The other hometown legend is from... I'm actually not sure what town it might be in. Uh, It's close to Lake Zurich, Illinois. But it's Cuba Road. And Cuba Road is just kind of a standard uh, spooky-ooky road (laughs) where... Uh, there's like an old cemetery on it and you know if you go there late at night in your car you know you flash your lights or something and there's like a old dead lady that's supposed to show up or something I know that's really vague my aunt told me about it she said that she used to go there when she was a teen and do that but so they're just kind of the type of hometown legend that you hear about all the time where somebody died or you just go there at night and something spooky happens and everybody freaks out and runs away. I love your podcast so much. Bye-bye. Hi, Derek. Uh, This is Kelly. I'm calling for the Hometown Legends segment that's coming up. I grew up in Alabama and I went to college in Montevallo, Alabama. The only public liberal arts school in the state is there. Not a lot of people have heard about it. It's University of Montevallo. It used to be an old plantation and there are a lot of like haunting, haunted stories associated with uh, the campus. So I was there and I stayed in one of the dorms for one of the years that I was there and I was in the building called Main, which is a girl's dorm. And the top floor, there were like only four rooms at the very top of the building and there was this story that a girl had like a Bunsen burner type cook stove in her room which was against the rules and she caught fire and like beat herself like ran repeatedly into the door while she was on fire and supposedly the image of her face burned into the door and every time they replaced the door the image of her face like her burnt screaming face like shows up on the door. So they actually, they keep the room totally locked up. Of course on Halloween, they like, they go up there and they unlock it and they let people go up there and look at it. I never really experienced anything there. It was an old building and kind of creepy sometimes, but I mean, just kind of like old creepy old building vibes. The other things that they reported on campus, there was the King House, I think it was the King House, or maybe King Hall, but there was an old home uh, that was sort of in the middle of one of the quads. And I don't know that it was used for anything, but I heard it was haunted and I would obsessively watch like the curtains to see if the curtains had moved as I went walking across the quad to get to different classes. I never saw anything with that house, but uh, you know, supposedly it's haunted. There's also supposed to be a bunch of tunnels used for like servants and slaves and stuff from back in the day crisscrossing the quad but i don't really know about that so anyway i hope you can use it thanks bye thank you kelly i love the legend of the burned girl now i should clarify that i don't love that a girl was burned i certainly hope it's not true it's just instead a yarn spun for our entertainment, but I really do enjoy the cautionary tale vibe of it. You know, don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take your work home with you. 
and above all else, don't break the rules. It's an excellent story. Now as for your Cuba Road entry, I could elaborate a bit more about that particular legend, but instead, I'll let Alvira, also from the state of Illinois, fill you guys in. Hi Derek, this is Alvira calling from Illinois, and I wanted to call and report a, I guess, hometown legend. Now, I didn't grow up in this particular city, but this is something that I've heard. And actually, recently, someone mentioned it to me, because I'm all into horror and, you know, haunted places. And I've gone to several uh, supposedly haunted cemeteries in the Illinois area, uh, Bachelors Grove, Oxable Cemetery, and this particular cemetery is the Cuba Road uh, Cemetery, or the, or it's on Cuba Road, rather. And this is in the town of Barrington, Illinois. So apparently this is a place where a lot of gangsters back in the day, I'm, I'm assuming during the Prohibition and Al Capone had been buried and probably did a couple of, you know, dealings. So I'm gonna assume that there was probably some people buried in there that were up to no good. Who knows? So this cemetery has been around for quite some time, and it is uh, Cuba Road in Barrington, and then it kind of meets up with another road uh, called Flint Creek Road, and apparently that's kind of where all the creepy stuff tends to happen. Now, I haven't actually personally been here, but I do plan on taking a look because according to what many people have reported is that if you go, you might see a black truck. Now, the Flint Creek Road turns into one road, so... In the cemeteries, it's very common that you only have the one road and the space is very limited. So you only can go really one way, either for, forward or backward. So supposedly from what people say is that this black truck um, appears and then flashes bright lights at you. So you're facing it head on. And a lot of times people take this as like a, you know, like a chicken game. So then they start revving their engines. This truck has supposedly took off at full speed towards the people, you know, opposite it, and it just kind of either disappears right before you hit it, or usually what tends to happen is the people in their own cars will end up pulling off to the side to avoid head-on collision. And of course, when they look back, they're either in a creek somewhere or off the road or in a bush, and the black truck is nowhere to be found. Um, another thing that people have said is that a house will appear that is a house that actually burnt down years ago but apparently it will appear there not only are those two things uh what shows up obviously there's a lot of apparitions uh people are constantly reporting the globes and um even actual i guess you could say people there ghosts anomalies whatever you want to call them there's plenty of pictures online if you go and look it up it's definitely worth a look um look up, you know, the Cuba Road ghost car, Cuba Road in Barrington, Illinois. There's um, a story about how, you know, some teens in the early 70s got into an accident and died with that mystery uh, black truck. And there's plenty of pictures of people who've gone there, take pictures, and you see the orbs in the on top of all the, the, the headstones, and you see a bunch of actual apparitions that look like bodies, that look like the shape of a body. Um, I don't know if this has anything to do with the fact that this was around during the Prohibition and perhaps a lot of gangster activity went down here. Um, that's actually what was said of uh, Bachelors Grove that supposedly Al Capone used to bury a lot of his 
I guess you could say, enemies there. So who knows if it's haunted by that? Who knows if it's haunted just by other things? But it's definitely worth a look into. Um, I am going to go there. So hopefully if I go there, um, I can take some cool pictures. But another thing that was said is that it is kind of a, a little bit of confusing to kind of get on the road and get off the road. So I think a lot of people tend to get lost. So I don't know if that kind of pertains to why people are a little bit more scared. Who knows? But definitely, definitely recommend looking into it. Again, it is Cuba Road in Barrington, Illinois. And look into it, see if maybe there's any truth to the black car, the black pickup, um, maybe the house that appears, and maybe there's a reason why a bunch of apparitions are still kind of lingering. But anyway, I just wanted to add that story. And again, you know, doing a great job, Eric. Love the show. Love every time you update us with new stuff. I love hearing everyone's stories and can't wait to hear some more. Thank you. Thank you, Elvira. That's something that the East has down on lock. Haunted roads. Now sure, there are plenty of spooky roads in the western U.S., but the East has all the heavy hitters. Mona Lisa Road in Louisiana. Clinton Road in New Jersey. Archer Avenue, the home of Resurrection Mary in Chicago. And the infamous... Shades of Death Road, also in Jersey. But what's that? That's not enough to persuade you? Well, listen to what Jabin has to tell you about his haunted road in his home state of Pennsylvania. My name is Jabin. I live in Emmaus, Pennsylvania, which is just south of Allentown, Pennsylvania. And I'm calling about the hometown legend that you requested. Growing up, we had this story of a street called Constitution Drive. Actually, I'm just going to read you kind of what I have. There's an unpaved road located in Allentown, Pennsylvania, that has enough tales to make a horror movie. Constitution Drive is a rural gravel road located within the city. The road stretches along the top of a hill with a view of the Lehigh River below. Descending the hill, the area becomes more desolate and quiet and also dense with trees. Your anxiousness is raised as you maneuver through hairpin turns with a steep drop to your left. The rumbling train blasting their horn does little to ease the tension. This train is one of the reasons tales are told about this mysterious road. Several decades ago, a local man was said to be walking his dog along these tracks when a passing train struck the man. Instead of killing him, the man was severely maimed and lost one of his legs. The legend claims that the man was left there to fight for his life, his dogs patiently waiting by his side until he eventually passed away a few days later. Locals in our area believe the man and his dogs now haunt the area. Several witnesses have claimed to have seen dog prints in the snow with only one human foot nearby. When I say foot, I mean footprint. <laughs> Glowing red eyes have also been spotted in the woods on darkened nights. Others have stated to be hearing a loud whistling sound emanating from the woods in every direction. The whistling noise has been known to be quite melodic and soothing, as well as desonant and disturbing. Several paranormal groups have investigated the area and have come up with EVPs as well as some unusual images. Legless ghosts and red-eyed dogs aren't the only things strange going on in this area. 
Many travelers on the road have claimed to have seen a group of maniacal albinos that will terrorize you if you cross their path. They will throw stones at your passing car, and if you break down near the property, you will surely meet a dreadful fate. The home they occupy is pretty recognizable on the road. It seems to be the most intimidating and large sign warning you of attack dogs certainly keeps your guard up. So, when we were young, as a teenager, we always dared each other to drive down this road. There are no lights, so it's very, very desolate. And there's many uh, YouTube videos. If you Google Constitution Drive, you'll see them. There's also photos you can see. I hope this adds to your podcast. Uh, I really enjoy it. Keep up the good work. You definitely make my work day go a lot faster when I'm listening to you. Thank you, Jabin. Maniacal albinos. For some reason, that just sounds way creepier than it probably should have. Kind of harkens back to the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins, or even the Dover demon. Or you really want to dig back to that documentary, Hellier. Although those things weren't described as albinos, but more some sort of white, small creature. I'm not sure about all that, but what I can tell you is that roads are not the only infrastructure said to be haunted in the east. Bridges also seem to be affected. For more on that, here is Ryan's submission from the state of North Carolina. Hey Derek, this is Ryan from North Carolina, right outside of Asheville, about 20 minutes north, right on the Tennessee state line. I'm going to give you a story about a, um, a bridge that's in Asheville called Helen's Bridge. It's pretty famous around the area. The story goes is that in 1909, this bridge led to a pretty massive house called the Zelandia Mansion. Helen apparently lived somewhere you know, near the mansion, and you had to cross this bridge to access the mansion and also her house. Uh, so in 1909, um, her daughter apparently died in a house fire, and she was so distraught by, you know, the death of her daughter that she hung herself from this bridge. Um, you know, I've heard stories of people going up there late at night, and, you know, their headlights, when you turn the corner and hit the bridge, they swear they see, like, a entity hanging from the bridge and, and things like that. I personally have never seen that, but... Um, one experience I did have with up there is uh, me and a group of friends, I'm going to say there was probably about eight of us, went up there one night, you know, just doing what teenagers do, trying to look around and, you know, find something to do. So we go up to the bridge and, uh, you know, we're actually standing on the bridge at the time. You know, you could get out on it. Now it's barricaded off and because uh, it's a safety hazard. But, um so we're standing on the bridge and, you know, we're just kind of hanging out. One of my buddies is decides he's going to take a picture, kind of acting like, you know, he's hanging there and, you know, probably not a good idea. So we take this picture and one of my other buddies lifts him up and he kind of, you know, acts like he's hanging there. Soon after that, kind of standing around hanging out and we smell like distinctively like smoke, like fire, like, you know, something's on fire. So we look around, you know, we don't see any smoke, we don't see any flames, nothing like that. Um, so we just think, you know, the wind's called a campfire nearby, don't really think much about it. 
And right after that, once somebody turned to me and said, hey, you smell that, it smells like fire. I was like, yeah, I, I do smell that. It smells like something's on fire. And as soon as I said those words, I heard a woman distinctively like crying, like hysterically. So I look around at all the people I'm with. I'm like, well, is that one of, you know, our people? And, you know, nobody is uh, crying or anything like that. I turned to my buddy and I'm like, hey, do you hear that? And he's like, yeah, that woman? I was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of weird. And I mean, it sounds like it's like right, right there with us. Like this woman is just hysterically crying. So we're like, okay, you know, that's, that's enough for us. So we're walking back to my truck and all of a sudden we hear a pop. It's like, um, I mean, honestly, the best way I can describe it is like something like, kind of like fell or something popped. I mean, honestly, it kind of sounded like a rope popping. So at this point, you know, we're all really freaked out. So we're like, okay, we, we decide we're going to leave. You know, that's enough. So we all get in my truck and I have a uh, four-door F-150. So, you know, we're all in the same vehicle. It's my truck. Pretty brand new truck. This was in 2002 and my truck was a uh, 2000. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't an old truck. And my truck won't start. And I'm like, well, what's going on here, you know, because, like I said, it's a newer truck. So, um, luckily, it's on a hill, and, you know, a couple of my buddies get out, and uh, they push it, and, you know, it's a manual. So, we finally get the truck started and, you know, get to the bottom of the mountain. Um, Boatcatcher Mountain is, is actually what it's called. And um, so, we stop the truck, and, you know, we kind of look at each other, and we're like, all right, well, yeah, that was, that was you know, weird enough for us um haven't been back since as soon as we got to the bottom of the mountain you know the truck fired right up like it was brand new and uh, you know like i say haven't been back since thanks ryan believe it or not that was not the only bridge submission either the following is will's hometown submission about a bridge that i bet you've heard of Hello, um, this is Will from Southern Indiana. I called it for your local legend story last season about uh, Witch's Castle. Figured I'd do it again, calling about another local legend. I say I live in Southern Indiana, but I'm more or less right across the bridge from Louisville, Kentucky. It has a lot of legends like Waverly Hills and other stuff, but what I'm going to talk about is one you've probably heard of. The Popelik uh, Goatman. Part of the reason I'm bringing this up is about a week or two ago, a 15-year-old girl died up there. According to the little bit of research I just did, taking an hour or two surfing online, and from what I remember, there's a section over the Louisville called, uh, it's a railroad trestle. It's a big, long bridge that spans a, a canyon, basically, for trains. The stories go that there is a goat man out there, hence why it's called the Pope Lake Goat Man, but there's no real reason why it's been out there. There's a bunch of stories like it was created or from a circus, something like that, but it is said to drag an axe behind it, walk along the trestle, and mimic voices to drag people there. I've been to this location. It is creepy. I'm not stupid enough to try to climb over the bridge, but a lot of people are. At least four or five people have died going up on this bridge, whether it was for the goat man or just 
they're curious of their own will. Don't know, but I have heard stories of people hearing voices up there of someone they know and following them. Like I said, there's been at least five deaths. A lot more people have been injured. People have been flung off the, the bridge. It's a very dangerous spot because honestly, all that really protects it is an eight foot fence and you know how well that can stop some people. The Goat Man is one of our most famous local legends. Heard about it multiple different places, Monsters Among Us, the History Channel show, other stuff, but it's nothing to joke about. People die and have been injured going and looking for the Goat Man. I don't know if it's there. I've been to the location. It is creepy. It has bad vibes. And it just doesn't feel right. Here's a short, simple one for you. Love the show. Keep it up. Thanks for all the stories. Bye. Thank you, Will. And thank you for the warning. You know Will's right. Everyone should consider looking for these uh, spooky places, these uh, urban legend locations to be a dangerous activity. Never trespass, and always let someone know where you're going. Unfortunately, what Will said is 100% true. People have died trying to investigate the Popelik Trestle. A woman's search for thrills ends in tragedy. Raquel Bain of Dayton, Ohio, was hit and killed by a train last night near South Popelik Road. Her boyfriend survived the accident. Way through news reporter Sharon Yu joins us now live in our newsroom. And Sharon, what were the couple looking for there? Well, Chris, the coroner tells us that Bain and her boyfriend were headed to Waverly Hill Sanatorium for the haunted tour. But before that, they made a stop at the trestles near South Popelik Road to check out the myth of the goat man. Today, I spoke with people in the area who told me this myth has taken the lives of many people over the years. Actually, it's, it's been around for years. Even my nephews and nieces used to go and, you know, come out here. Whether it's to see the goat man of urban legend or just for the fun of it, Denise Harris says many people have found reasons to travel up to the trestles that cross South Popelik Road. The goat man, if you climb up on the trestles, and they cross it, and he's supposed to come out when they cross the trust. Little do they know, going up there is a deadly choice. If they're halfway through here and a train comes, you either have to jump, run, or basically you get hit. Harris says many people assume they can outrun the train. When you're young, you think that you're going to live forever. You know, it's a euphoria, it is. You know, or they think they can outrun the trains, but, you know, that's a long way to go. And, you know, running, you can't run that fast. I'm sorry, you just can't. She's right. With Norfolk Southern trains passing by at an average of 24.1 miles per hour, you would have to be faster than Usain Bolt, the fastest runner in the world, just to keep up with the train. Plus, other residents say this specific area sees heavy traffic. And I see a train pass every 30 minutes or so. It's shocking that you hear about so many deaths and people still go and take the risk. Burns says she can only hope people will give it a second thought before they make the last decision of their lives. It's sad and I pray for the family. My thoughts are with them, but I wish that people would think about what they're doing before they're, they do it. It's definitely dangerous. 
As for the couple that were up on the trestles yesterday evening, the man told the deputy coroner in charge that they made a split second decision to hang on the sides of the trestles while, while the train passed. Unfortunately, Bain couldn't move fast enough and did not make it. She died from injuries from both the train and the 100 foot fall from the trestles. But we also want to take this opportunity to remind viewers the area that people pass through to get up on the trestles is private property and it is illegal to walk through that area. Chris. That story comes to us from WAVE News 3 out of Louisville, Kentucky. And as Will mentioned back in May of this year, a 15-year-old girl was also killed. So please, be careful out there, folks. On a much lighter note, the t-shirts I talked so much about the last couple episodes are finally in the shop. You know the ones. The awesome design by artist and incredible human, Brett Manning. Well, they're up there for the low, low price of only $19. And the shipping is incredibly cheap as well. So support the show and grab one today. And your choice of vintage black or steel blue. Just visit monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the shop tab. All right. So our next tale of the evening keeps us in the state of Illinois, but takes us back a couple of generations. The following submission comes to us from Alex in the land of Lincoln. Hey Derek, Alex from Chicago. Up until a couple of years ago, we had an old family farm down in uh, central eastern Illinois, uh, outside of the main town of Robinson, a little place called New Hebron. Uh, it was in the family for 130, 140 years uh, before I finally got sold, unfortunately. And uh, my great-grandpa, who grew up on that farm, of course, was a very interesting guy. He died shortly after I was born, so I didn't really ever know him, but he was a bit of a legend himself. War hero, roustabout, uh, you know, traveled by... Uh, riding the undersides of train cars and all that romantic early 20th century stuff. And he was a, a character and he told a lot of stories. And a lot of them were tall tales or you know, yarns that he liked to spin for the kids. I recently, a few years ago, came into possession of uh, audio recordings of, of him telling some of his favorite stories. And I decided as an editor and a writer to, to transcribe those and do some research on them. The one story that I always loved when I was a kid, because my grandpa would tell it, was a story about that farm in, in Illinois where there was a guy, his name was Tom Rogers, and he was a wild man. He lived, supposedly, in the acreage around the family farm in the woods there. And the way they would know he was around was they'd hear a single shotgun report go off and they would find a burned out campfire and they said he would shoot squirrels and cook them in a ball of, of mud. Apparently it was a, an old Indian way of cooking. I, I don't know the validity of any of that, but my great grandpa said in the recording and other people have recorded this too, that he said he spent a good 15 years trying to catch up to this guy and he never could. He would be hot on his trail and would come up and the embers of the fire would still be glowing and this guy would be gone, no trace of him. 
supposedly he had a little cabin back there in the woods and whatnot, but no one ever, no one ever found him. And what was amazing was as the decades went by and this guy who I believe was born in the 1870s, you know, could not possibly have still been alive. You would still hear a single shotgun report, and sometimes you'd still find, apparently, the burned-out campfire or these mud balls. And this went on up to the 80s, early 90s, so who knows. Uh, but it, it always fascinated me. And what was really cool was that in doing some research on it, I found out that not only was this guy a very real person, his father was a religious leader of some sort in the community, whose gravestone says he was 128 when he died, which couldn't probably not true. But this Tom Rogers character, I, I found these old newspaper reports from down there that he actually shot his cousin in the back with a shotgun, mind you, over a game of cards. And he actually later then pulled a gun on his father trying to get his inheritance early so he could get down. And when he did that, he actually got arrested went to Pontiac State Prison. So I got all these reports from local historians down there, and then the prison actually sent me his records. I have copies of them. It's really fascinating. And the date lines up to where this guy would have gotten out and maybe then gone and lived in the woods. The Rogers family were neighbors of, of my family's farm. So it almost makes sense, and I, I think there's definitely some validity to it. Now, the ghost part of it, who knows, but still fascinating nonetheless. Figured I'd tell that story. Keep up the great work, Eric. Take care. Thank you, Alex. Eastern newspapers had no shortage of quote-unquote wild man stories in the mid to late 1800s. Stories like this short yet intriguing entry from the July 8, 1902 edition of the Indianapolis News in nearby Indiana. Indians capture an Indiana wild man says he is John Podgett and a Hoosier. Guthrie, Oklahoma, July 8th, a wild man armed with a dangerous knife has been captured by Indians and cowboys. During a rational moment, he stated that his name is John Podgett and that he once lived in Indiana. It was impossible to discern what part of the Hoosier state he came from. I realize that article is chock full of information but that's the kind of thing that would just fever the imaginations back east. Now, a simple wild man newspaper article search on Google will give you at least a dozen of these authentic yet questionable entries to thumb through. Then again, maybe these articles were simply describing derelicts like Tom Robinson. And by the way, I attempted to find more information on this wild man Robinson but the pickings were pretty slim on the old internets. Thanks again, Alex, for sharing your hometown story. I really got a kick out of this one. Now, our next tale of the evening isn't supposed to be as spooky as it is. That is until you hear what Adam from Florida has to say about a recent visit. Here is that story. What's going on? It's Adam again from Florida. I got plenty of stories to keep them coming. This one is titled The Haunted House at the End of the Island. There's an old house on the tip of Merritt Island called Dragon's Point. 
there used to be a dragon on the tip that they uh, they built in the 60s. It's now gone. But at the tip of this island is so different. We live in a subtropic area, and the tip is like a full tropical area. I mean, the plants that grow there are totally different. It's a co- it's on a coquina ridge, cornered by water, and the house that was there was a big mansion, and a man that died left to his wife. Now, his wife was, was Asian, I believe, and she kind of let it go down, and I think she left. She just left the property. So the house kind of fell into a ruin. It was a big house, probably six bedrooms, four baths. You know, it was big. So the kids, we all used to go down there and kind of just walk the property, walk out on the rocks, drink some beers around the pool that was empty. And uh, it was a good time. Now, that was about 15 years ago. I went with my friends, and we were going to go fishing at the tip where the dragon used to be. The house was still there. It was it was pretty much gone. I mean, every wallpaper was gone. Everything was falling in. The roof was big holes in it. And uh, it was probably middle of the day, probably 3 o'clock. And we go in, and we're looking around, because I've always been curious about what the house looks like. And it was, you could tell, it was a really nice pad. But we walked around the house, looked at all the rooms, looked in the closets. I always look at everything. I look for things to, you know, like little hidden. Maybe there's a jewelry spot in the wall, you know. I, I go deep. Anyway, we're down in the kitchen after doing our walkthrough, and we both hear footsteps upstairs. And they're heavy, like boots. And me and my buddy looked at each other, and I said, <laughs> we were just up there. There's no one up there. No one even could have gotten up there because it was up on the second floor. And so we're like, well, let's get out of here. So I always kind of heard stories. There's some weird stuff on that, you know, on the tip. So I hadn't been there in probably about 15 years, and this kid I work with was like, hey, man, we're going to go drink some beers down at that old Dragon Point. Well, look, now the house has been demolished. It's just a property, a pool, empty pool, and basically a trail. So he went down there, and he had been drinking some beers. See, that's kind of where I I don't want to believe him because of the drinking part. But he had someone with him that saw it. So here's the story. He goes down there. He's drinking beers with his friend. This kid does not believe in ghosts, doesn't believe in anything like that. I try telling him stories all the time, and he just laughs at me. So he goes down there, and I get a call at 3 in the morning, a message telling me that I was right, that the spirits exist, he can't believe it. Oh, my gosh. So I see him the next day, and I said, man, what? You know what happened? He's like, we're walking out on the on the point down the path, and something grabbed me and dragged me down the rocks and threw me in the water. I said, "Well, threw you? What do you mean? So you fell?" He's like, "No, I was grabbed and dragged and thrown into the water." And I was like, "Well, you've been drinking, right?" He's like, "Yeah," but and then he lifts his shirt. 
and he has bruises of fingers right under his uh, armpit. And I was like, holy cow. And his buddy backs it up and says, yeah, it was not a natural. He didn't fall. It wasn't a natural fall. He was walking down the path and just almost like got sucked up. I was like, oh. Moral of the story is stay off that guy's property. Is that I think the house being taken down has got him riled up. And uh, I, I personally don't want to step foot down there. And uh, what do you call him, a cynic? He's not a skeptic. He was a cynic. But now he's a full believer in spirit, ghosts, everything. So we got another one to our side. Well, keep up the good work. The pod is fantastic. And I'll call you again with some more action. Thank you, Adam. This is one of those things that I'd never heard of prior to your call. So I was pretty excited to do a little research. As it turns out, in January 2015, a contractor and developer actually bought the property and demolished the multi-million dollar mansion. He has plans to build a new one. In addition, he's also going to build a new 60-foot-long dragon that breathes fire and has lit-up eyes. Supposedly, it's going to be done sometime soon, so I'll certainly be checking back. That would be quite the sight as you approach in your boat. Thank you again, Adam, for taking the time to share. We've actually touched on the subject of our next call once before in a hometown legend, but it's one of the stories that I enjoyed hearing growing up, so I don't mind telling it again. The following is Jay's call from Ohio. Hello, my name is Jay from Lorain, Ohio. I was calling because I had a gore or fifth story. This happened several years ago, back when I was in high school. I'm 23 now. I was probably about 17 at the time. This night, I was hanging out with a bunch of my friends. We started talking about ghost stories and stuff. We'd been avid fans of like ghost shows, like Ghost Hunters, and whatever would come on on Wednesdays, Destination Truth, all, all those shows like that. So we started talking about going to visit Gore Orphanage. So we got in our car and we went down there looking for it. We got lost several times before we actually found the actual like Gore Orphanage road that led to the old orphanage site. So when we get down there, we try all the things we heard, turning off your car on the bridge, all that. And nothing really ever happened. So we heard from friends at school that, like, the challenge was to find the old pillar or column of stone or whatever it was out in the field where the orchids previously was. So me and a couple of my buddies, we were walking out in the field through the woods looking for where that orphanage used to be. And we came across a few rather weird things like just uh stuff that you wouldn't expect to be back there like uh stuff that looked like almost like makeshift stuff off sticks and you know i figured it was just other people have been down there because gorefnage definitely isn't a secret everyone around here knows about it so when uh we were back there you know i chalked it up to our mind playing tricks on us at the time but it kept looking as if someone was 
in front of us are like peeking out from behind a tree, just a dark figure. I couldn't really see all that much who it was or what it was. It was very dark, only had the moonlight and back in the dense woods back there, we couldn't see anything. So now this is where it gets kind of crazy. So we, uh, we were on our way back to our car and we kind of got lost a little bit and we just decided, Hey, let's look around. We, we never even found the pillar. So we were like, let's look around and see if we can find anything else around here back on like the, the roadway. So we came up and there was a ton of cars parked back in the woods. Now, what was weird about it is that there was like a fire and we kind of snuck up to these cars. And when we looked, we saw people, and they were all wearing robes and it almost looked like a um like a seance or some like cult thing now that the only reason i'm really calling about that in regards to this is that to think about what this group of people might have been doing and whether or not the shadows we saw when we were walking through the woods the figures that we saw behind the trees if it was possible that that could have been one of these guys watching us that's basically my story i was just calling in you know that night it was uh it was very i believe it was a full moon because the moonlight was super bright but um no clouds i could remember or anything like that but it was a just a regular old summer night thank you for uh the show and i got more stories i plan to call in Thank you, Adam. I certainly didn't plan on doing any debunking here, but I have an idea that might explain what was going on there. You see, that part of the state is kind of known for its institutions of education. There are a lot of colleges and universities in that general area. In fact, I went to school not too far from there myself. And what many of those schools have in common is a thriving Greek community. Fraternities and sororities. And, just like you see on television, many of these fraternities and sororities use robes and cloaks in some of their suspicious yet harmless gatherings. And a lot of times, these rituals and ceremonies were performed off-site, off-campus, sometimes in the middle of the forest or a field. So perhaps this is simply what Adam stumbled upon. Now, all that said, there must be something about... Ohio and orphanages because that's not the only orphanage related call I received for this particular hometown legend special. The following is John's call also from the state of Ohio. Hi there, this is John from Ohio. Appreciate everything you do with the podcast. I'm a new listener and a first time caller. I wanted to tell you a little bit about our uh, hometown legend in Antwerp, Ohio, it is the legend is that there is a there's an orphanage, it used to be an orphanage, out on Coffin Road, and the legend is that orphanage was burnt down intentionally by someone who was connected. I'm not sure exactly, and I've not done any research on it. Um, who burned that? Her, who burned down the orphanage? That's just the local legend. It's a popular spot where we where we used to go out, I guess, 10 years ago now when I was in high school. And we'd just drive our cars out there and we'd just 
stop, look around, listen, challenge spirits and things like that. We didn't see too much. I'd probably been out there, you know, my whole life, maybe 20 times. We returned probably two, three years after high school, myself, a couple of friends of mine, and we went back out there again to check things out and have some fun. We were hanging out by a fire in Antwerp, and we're like, let's go out to Coffin Road. Why not? So we all went. And I had my phone recording to try and pick up anything I could that, you know, sounded weird or whatever. One of my friends, I was in the back seat in the middle, and one of my friends was off to the left. And I remember him saying specifically, laughing on this recording, and he goes, I dropped a beer can, man. And then he goes, what was that? And then we play back the recording multiple times, and every single time we hear this pat, 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 almost as if someone's running next to the car or something is running next to the car. Obviously, that could have been anything, but it did definitely sound like footsteps next to the car while we were rolling very slowly over this gravel road and then just kind of, you know, messing around, like we said, we're just having some fun. And that was pretty cool. I had the recording, lost the recording, unfortunately. But yeah, you know how it is, you lose your phone or something. So, but I just wanted to call, report this, let you guys know about it since you were doing some hometown legends. And uh, again, I appreciate the podcast and I'm really enjoying it so far and I'll continue to listen. Thank you. Thank you, John. I too have fallen victim to the lost recording tragedy. I remember an EVP session in my brother's basement of his quite active house. We caught a very clear EVP of a disembodied spirit or voice at the very least saying the word dog almost as clear as that. Completely lost. Never be able to hear it again. It's certainly tragic, but part of the process. Thank you again, John, for sharing your hometown's legend. And thank you both for representing my home state of Ohio. Now I think we've spent quite enough time in the north. Let's make our way south. The following is Michael's story from the state of Tennessee. Hey man, my name is Michael. I am originally from Memphis. I love your podcast, man. I'll just go ahead and get that out the way. But I heard you were looking for urban legends or like creepy legends that might have happened from whoever's location. Well, in Memphis, there is a street and it's called Shelby Drive. And it runs for a long time, man, all the way to Interstate 55, if you know where that's at. There's this street off of Shelby Drive. They call it Voodoo Village. And this story and these events have been going on since I can remember, you know, even back when my dad was younger, back in the 70s. But it's called Voodoo Village. The actual street name is called Mary Ann something or Marie Ann or Anne Marie. I can't remember for sure. But anyways, the deal is there are people back in the 70s and they all grouped up in this uh, cove and supposedly they were all like into voodoo practice and the legend is if you go in there you, you draw through there and back in the day a school bus would pull out from behind you and block you in there and 
it's it's so creepy, man. You, I've been there before. It, it's all run down now, but you, you go in there and to your right, the first thing you see is like this giant chain link fence that covers like three or four houses. It's not just one yard. It's like two or three yards put together. And I don't know, you probably know a lot about voodoo stuff, but they have all these like pieces of plywood that are painted like super bright colors, which represents evil, if I'm not mistaken, in this, you know, culture. And they all have mirrors, like these tiny little mirrors everywhere to your right. And to your left, there are these trees with just these creepy ass baby dolls. The ones you move back and forth and the eyeballs blink, you know, but it's just the heads and they're just hanging from these trees. And at the very end, there's this church, but it's all boarded up at the very end of the cove. And I researched it some before I went down there and I found a few pictures. You can look it up. It's in Memphis, Tennessee. Look up Voodoo Village. And there are black and white pictures back from the 70s where you can see people coming out of the woodwork with machetes. And that's not even the creepiest thing. One of the bad things about voodoo, if you practice it, you're supposedly like trying to stay young forever, but it mutates your body. So some of these pictures, you can only find a few. These pictures, they're these, you know, African-Americans and they like have these really distorted faces and they're just, you know, they look mad. And it is scary as hell. Nowadays, I think it's more of like younger, people that live in there i think you know most of the people moved out of there but you know kids still go there or teenagers even grown-ups i still like to go in there and make the cove just to see you know this it's amazing just the 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 artwork like the way it's set up all these mirrors and just the the baby doll thing like that kind of i guess faded out but the church is still there, still boarded up. I went on Google Maps just to see it from the top, you know, get an aerial view of it. And I'm assuming where the school bus came from, behind the first two houses to the right, there's a giant junkyard. And that would be plenty of room for this school bus to hide at. Like I said, everything's kind of run down now. And I think a lot of the people that live there are either descendants of people that used to live there. But there was this tale of this man, and he just quit showing up after a while. But he supposedly was clear over 115 years old. But he would hardly ever show his face there. And like I said, too, I been through there so many times because I I just love the thrill of it. I wanted to see it. I love going to places like that. And, you know, nothing weird happened to me there, but I did get this really just creepy ass feeling, man. And if anybody ever goes to Memphis, look up Voodoo Village. It's something you'll never forget. I can't even put it into words. But thanks for listening to me, man. Love your podcast, man. I'll keep listening. Stay cool. Thank you, Michael. The Voodoo Village is yet another place that I hadn't heard of. This certainly sounds interesting. To be honest, the mention of all the doll heads kind of reminded me of a particular place of nightmares. 
Isla de las Municas, the island of the dolls. The canals of Xochimilco are one of the biggest tourist attractions in Mexico City. A welcome escape from the concrete and high rises, where people can enjoy the same beautiful canals once used by the Aztecs. These ancient waterways hold many stories. Nowhere is that truer than here on the island of the dolls. It looks like a scene from a horror movie. Hundreds of dolls strung up and hanging from trees. Anastasio's uncle started collecting these dolls 50 years ago after he found the body of a young girl who drowned on these shores. He found the dolls in the canals and in the trash. He started hanging them up to protect him and to try to scare away the spirit of the girl. Now every year, more and more tourists with a morbid curiosity come to visit the island. People like Linda Miraflores. In Mexican culture, there are a lot of legends about dolls. People believe that they can trap evil spirits and stop them from harming anyone. Some of these dolls come from Colombia, Australia, and even Russia. They've been brought here by visitors from all over the world. And this is not the only frightening folktale that has origins here in Xochimilco. The most famous legend is La Llorona, or Weeping Woman. It's a frightening tale performed yearly about an indigenous woman who drowns her own children in these canals instead of surrendering to the Spanish conquerors. Xochimilco has a long history dating back to the 10th century. We have 17 communities and all of them have their own legends. We even have one legend about men turning into animals. The Island of the Dolls is definitely not an ancient attraction, but it's probably one of the most bizarre. And it's proof that the mystery which has always surrounded these canals is still very much alive today. Rachel Levin, Al Jazeera, Mexico City. As you heard, that clip comes courtesy of Al Jazeera News. I highly recommend checking out the full video version of this clip, checking this place out with your own eyes. A link to which can be found in the show notes for tonight's episode. In fact, I've actually tried to include a link of some kind for nearly every entry on tonight's program. In a little jumping off point to get you started down the rabbit hole. Now I have a few more stories to share with you, but before I do, remember that I'll be hosting this year's town hall meeting at the 2019 CryptidCon in Lexington, Kentucky, September 7th and 8th. Most of the Monsters Among Us crew will be in attendance, so look for us at the Cryptic Crate table. I certainly can't wait to see you guys there. And the second thing is a little call to action. You see, here's the situation. I'm running on some seriously old equipment here in the studio. During the latest upgrade, I was able to, uh, you know, buy some new monitors and get some hard drive space. But that was about it. So the computer in the studio, which is a Mac Mini, I'm having problems with almost daily. And my laptop with a busted screen and only works some of the time. Well, the truth is, they're both on their last legs. So I say all that to say this. If you've been thinking of picking up that latest t-shirt, donating a couple bucks, or signing up for Patreon, there is literally no better time 
than now. I certainly could use the help in saving up to replace some of this equipment. Now, as far as Patreon's concerned, or, as I like to call that series, Monsters Among Us Beyond, last week I posted a deep-dive interview with Mirrored Men witness Ray in Chicago, Illinois. Search Monsters Among Us on Patreon.com to check that episode out. The $4 monthly pledge gives you access to that and much, much more. Alright, let's get back to the program. Our next submission of the evening is one that makes my skin crawl. This is TJ's submission from Alabama. Hi, Derek. TJ from Alabama again. I've uh, given you a couple of hometown legends. Um, but I, I live in a place in Auburn, Alabama now. And uh, Lake Martin is very close by. Lake Martin was the biggest man-made lake in the country when it was built. Um, and there's a couple of towns that have been flooded underneath it. The legend is that you can still hear the church bell ring or you can hear a man hunting with his dogs out in the what used to be the forest emanating out of the water. Um, I've never heard any of this myself, but hey, I thought it was creepy and you might could use it. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, TJ. And it's great to hear from you again. So let me tell you what it is I find so creepy about this submission. In part, it's the water. Kind of afraid of water. Especially dark water. And any idea of what may be hidden down there just gives me the heebies. And then you go ahead and tie a ghost dog into the rotation. A ghost hound dog at that. A deeply rooted fear of mine since I was a child. Well, now you got a full case of the heebies and the jeebies. So thanks a lot for that. TJ. Great job. Now for our next tale, we're going to head back to our friend Ryan in North Carolina. He has a tale about a particular house that he's visited. Hey, Derek. This is Ryan calling from North Carolina. Got a pretty interesting story for you. I grew up right outside of Asheville in a little town called Mars Hill. Um, small town, not much to do. Landscape of the area is very mountainy, very woodsy. Do a lot of hunting, fishing, things like that. The story I have for you, me and a, a few buddies uh, run up on, there's this place out right in Mars Hill. It's called the Birdie House. It's an old house. We used to go up there and hang out, you know, and, and whatever, and so we're up there one night, and uh, we decide that we're going to check out the house. And we go in the house, and, you know, we're looking around, things like that. And it's just a very creepy old house. It was in summer, so it was, it was pretty warm outside. Probably in the, I'm going to say, I don't know, high 60s, I guess, outside. It's pretty late at night, probably about 11 o'clock at night. So we get out, and, you know, we go in this house. And as soon as we step in the house, like, the temperature just drops dramatically and 
kind of weird that, you know, we didn't really think nothing about it. You know, being in the mountains, there's, you know, drafts and things like that. So we're walking around this house, and, um, you know, it's me and two of my buddies. We start hearing things like moaning, like someone's in pain or, or something like that. And, you know, it's dark in there. We can't hardly see anything. And um, we just keep hearing this moaning, and then we hear, like, another set of moaning, like somebody else is in pain. At this point, we're kind of, you know, a little freaked out, so we decide to, to try to, you know, get out of the house and leave or whatever. So all of a sudden, my buddy kind of like jumps like you know like he had fell or, or whatever and he turned to look at us he's like which one of y'all scratched me you know he's like what are you talking about he's like one of y'all scratched me i was like no no we didn't so we get back to my truck and we look at his neck and he's got four scratch marks on the back of his neck like somebody had just clawed at the back of his neck freaked us out so we left so we decided the next night we was going to go back so this old house, like when you kind of pull into the driveway, I had a lifted uh, truck, so my headlights pointed perfectly into the front door. So I left my headlights on. We get out, we, you know, we go back in the house, and, uh, you know, we're just kind of looking around again. Once again, we hear this moaning. So it's like, all right, well, that's enough. So we go to try to leave, and we're messing with the front door, and it's, you know, it's old woods, so it's swelled, so, you know, we can't close it. And me, I'm a pretty decent-sized guy. I'm six foot one, you know, right at 200 pounds, so, uh, you know, pretty stout. I couldn't get the door closed. Didn't think nothing about it, so we went on back to the truck. So my truck, the way it was, is when you started it, even if the headlights were on, the headlights would go off while it was starting, and then it would, you know, come back on. So as soon as I tried to start my truck, we hear, like, a slam. And as soon as the truck starts up, you know, the headlights are back on the front door, and um, the door's closed like somebody had slammed the door shut. So, uh, you know, at that point, you know, we, we decided to get out of there pretty quickly and, you know, haven't been back since. So we get back to my buddy's house, and, you know, we're talking to his dad about it. Well, apparently this house back in the Civil War was a old, like, I guess, set-up hospital. And they used to take um, Civil War soldiers there that they knew were going to die and just basically you know, try to keep them as comfortable as possible and let them die. And uh, so, you know, I thought that was pretty interesting hearing that after, you know, our experience. But I'm listening to your show all the time. I drive a truck, so I'm constantly listening. Um, really enjoy it. Yeah, I uh, appreciate, you know, taking the time to listen and hope you have a good day. Thank you, Ryan, for your submission. Sounds like this latest one was more than eventful. Our next entry takes us back to the Windy City. The following comes to us anonymously from the state of Illinois. Hey Derek, I'm originally from the state of Illinois and grew up in Chicago actually. This is where your hometown stories. I'm surprised I haven't heard anybody tell this yet, but there's a building here called the John Hancock Building. And uh, basically, the story goes that back when the building was built back in the 70s or 60s or something like that, there was a lady who went inside. There was some sort of like Sears or JCPenney or something on one of the floors of the building. And suddenly this uh, nice uh, guy just swings by and gets into like this conversation with her saying that he was going around looking for a dress for his wife. 
and asked for her advice on a dress. And so basically, uh, she helps him out, whatever, blah, 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 yada, yada. And he suggests for her to buy a specific dress. And, you know, doesn't pay attention to what he looked like. I mean, she did, but anyways, so later on, she brings up the dress that she bought and she said, oh, he's a nice guy, just help me out, blah, 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 yada, yada. So a couple of days pass and she sees a picture of the guy and it ends up being John Hancock. And so they ended up naming the building, the John Hancock building. I'm sure there's other versions of the story, but this is like the general concise story is that this guy helped this lady wear a dress or something. And that's why they called it a John Hancock building. So that's the hometown legend I heard when I was growing up. Yeah. I hope you enjoy it. I love your podcast and uh, thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you, caller, for sharing that story. I have to be truthful with everyone. I do a little research on each and every one of these stories. This one included. And I didn't find anything that mentioned this story. And in fact, the name of the building actually came from the John Hancock Insurance Company. It was the first resident. That said, I thoroughly enjoy these kind of anecdotal stories. Reminds me of something my grandfather might have made up when I was a kid. So thank you again for sharing your call. And just like that, we have one more call on our little road trip. And strangely enough, we make our way back to the state of North Carolina. The following hometown legend submission was sent to us by Jeremy. Good afternoon, Monsters Among Us. I am calling in about the hometown legend segment. I am from Blues Creek, North Carolina, a hotbed of paranormal and cryptid sighting. As far as I've been alive and as far as my grandmother's been alive, the story I'm telling today is of Old Lady Deal. The township of Blues Creek right at this current population only has around 2,500 people. Prior to the lake being there, which was built in 1973, it was under 1,000. And there was a lady there that went by the name Old Lady Deal. In the 60s, she was a known naturalist. She was a healer, and she practiced witchcraft. She was against the entering of Duke's energy, which was Duke Power formerly, building a coal station there coal station she believed would tank the creek that she you know bathed in and whatnot she did have a little home but when it happened you know they destroyed the entire township that was currently there of all the homes and they actually bulldozed them into a hole and that is what the creek the lake is now built on which is has 88 miles of you know water frontage and Old Lady Deal, the story goes that she cursed, you know, she cursed the um, the plant and, and the lake that anybody that, you know, tried to inhabit it, you know, would drown. Any fish that was there would be poisoned. And it's actually held up the test of time. Where Miss Deal lived, there, that is where predominantly all the drownings happened. Since the actual lake was built, has been around 100 drownings in that particular area. And that was in 1973 is when it was built. 
and I actually myself have when I was swimming in that area I grew up on that lake and when I I actually have felt a what felt like a skeletal hand wrap around my leg and luckily I you know had people around me that was able to get me and nothing was seen under the water but you know I'm an avid swimmer Uh, that that lake is a mile wide I can swim it all day long and I was an ungodly you know terrifying thing to happen along with that uh, the fish that I was referring to earlier, the, there's a lot, for some reason, there's a ton of mercury. Now, you can, you know, you can uh, chalk that up to the power plant, but that's a coal base. It's not nuclear. So there's no reason there should be a lot of, you know, this this is an unheard of amount of mercury in these, this fish. And the water in that in particular area, it's actually, since it's a coal station, a steam station, the water is hot in that lake. This particular area is always freezing cold of the lake and it's like i said it's a hot spot of like weird stuff there in blues creek from obviously your sasquatch sightings to ghostly hooves on that bridge and also there's a circus train railing that went through for because there was a lumber yard in blues creek that's the only thing it's known for is the lumber yard and a train actually flipped over and released howling monkeys, panthers, everything into the, into the forest. And you can still hear in Blues Creek, North Carolina, hear monkeys howling. And you, can chalk it, you can't chalk it up to the owl because this is an actual monkey howling. And, you know, you, they've been spotted. Even up to 2015, they're still being spotted. So it's just a, one of the weirdest cities you'll ever encounter. And Old Lady Deal is honestly a, a true, true myth, if you will. Love the podcast. Huge fan. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Like Ryan's call, there's a lot to unpack there. But the mention of curses, cursing the fish in the water, reminded me of a huge hometown legend. A story that took place not too far from where Jeremy was calling from. It's a little ways west, in the state of Tennessee. There was a cave, and a house, and a man named Bell. Of course, there was a witch. Adams is a pretty farming community, quaint and welcoming. But is there something more sinister lurking about here? Adams is said to be the home of the Bell Witch, a spirit who calls herself Kate, arguably Tennessee's most famous ghost. I heard about the Bell Witch for many, many years growing up, and and, uh, and of course there's been movies made about that, so uh, it's, it's gotten some national or international notoriety. Kate reportedly haunted the Bell family of Adams in the early 1800s. She was especially cruel to teenager Betsy and is said to have poisoned patriarch John Bell. Kate supposedly still lives in a nearby cave, but apparently doesn't like video cameras. Over the years, lots of media crews have come here to Adams to do stories on the Bell Witch. Now there are jokes about microphones not working, cameras malfunctioning. Well, we've been here about an hour and our equipment's working just fine. All around Adams, Kate remains a celebrity. There's a Bell Witch Cafe. 
festivals, and a theater production about the spirit. Add to the lore the Bell Cemetery and this log cabin and school built by the family. But can a witch be good for agriculture? This is still a, uh, a farming community, uh, Adams, and Robertson County is still uh, one of the top five agricultural counties in the state of Tennessee. UT Extension Director Paul Hart says ag generates $100 million in sales to local producers each year, and a good bit of that coming in agritourism. The Bell Witch legend draws visitors here, and they spend money. It's a built-in marketing tool, is what it amounts to. We have people that come all the time year-round uh, just they happen to be in the area and they've heard about Adams and they've heard about the Bell Witch and they want to come see the school and uh, go out to the cemetery. And Tom Head operates Shade Tree Farm where he has an apple and peach orchard. They also sell other agritourism items and make their own cider. We'd made cider under the shade tree. Uh, we got through, went through the process to be certified to be able to sell that through uh, uh, to the public. <clears throat> and put all that together so that we could sell not only apples, but apple products. If the Bell Witch is real, Tom Head has no desire to chase her away. He appreciates Kate's contributions to the local ag economy. Farms and frights. In Adams, it's a bewitching combination. This is Chuck Denny reporting. That clip comes courtesy of the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture. And I'll be the first to admit it was a little more tongue-in-cheek than I would have liked. But it was surprisingly difficult to find a lot of good information on the Bell Witch, at least in audio format. But as you can see, there is more than one similarity between Jeremy's hometown legend and that of the Bell Witch. I know they have a little museum and stuff over there in Adams County, Tennessee. You should check that out if you get the opportunity. And that's going to do it for part one of Hometown Legends, season seven. I will return next week with part two, where we hear from the western half of the United States. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Warren Pon Abbott, Eddie Lloyd, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And music for this episode was provided by the talented Kohak. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. I suppose you thought that because this is a special episode it wouldn't hide anything at the back end. You'd be wrong. 
tonight's hidden submission comes to us from Katie in the state of Michigan. Hey man, usually I'd call in, but I've come down with a sore throat from hell, so my voice is wrecked. My name is Katie, and this is the story that my aunt told us growing up about the area my family's camping property is, the northern part of Lower Michigan. Old Man Harry was a fur trapper who got caught up in a fierce spring blizzard, not uncommon for that area, with his two sons while they were out checking one of their lines. One of the sons fell and broke his leg. They took refuge in his summer cabin, but they had no food, medicine, nothing for the injured boy. The storm raged, making it impossible for them to leave. And a few days in, well, Harry snapped. He ate both of his sons and was cursed for it. Now he roams the woods at night, most especially when the wind is howling, to mask his own cries of regret, or when he finds unsuspecting people out, unprepared for the coming storm. When I was a kid, I always thought this was a story about some sort of werewolf or dogman, because those were always the stories everyone was telling. Now, I think it's a story about a Wendigo, who was never named because my aunt didn't know about that story, or she just made it up to scare us around the fire. Either way, I think about it every time I'm home, and the winds howl, or the snow blows. I love these episodes. Thank you so much for the show. You're doing awesome. Katie. Thank you, Katie. As someone that grew up near the Great Lakes myself, I can tell you this story sort of hits home. I certainly never experienced any Wendigo-type symptoms or uh, the creature itself. But the story, I understand the cold that they're talking about. I understand the snow and the wind that cuts right to your bones. I love your story and I love that your aunt used it to freak you guys out. That's what childhood was really all about. Thank you again for sharing and thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. I'll see you guys next week. If you look around, you'll see the world can be pretty smart. Okay, very smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart, too. That's why we're reshaping online learning with our FlexPath format. You can set your own deadlines, take classes at your own pace, even leverage your previous experience to move faster. So when it comes to earning your bachelor's degree, you know what kind of choice to make. A smart one. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. Your home is more connected than ever. So when one kid is schooling the competition... Got it. The other is getting schooled. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. And you're streaming a webinar for work and the latest episode of your favorite show at the same time. Shh. Your Wi-Fi needs to be able to handle it. That's why Xfinity never stops working to bring you faster, more reliable Wi-Fi. So you can do it all, all at the same time. Xfinity. The future of awesome. Learn more at Xfinity.com.